Hey, Matt. Hey, Mike. We should uh, talk about some stuff. Yeah, we should. On a... Maybe we should record it, too, for posterity. And then maybe share it with other people on the internet? Sure. Hey, it's crazy enough to work. Let's do it. Welcome, everyone, to another exciting episode of Hacking the Grepson. Um, today we will be talking about the first three puzzles in this year's Advent of Code 2023. So this is your spoiler alert. If you are, if you have not started it yet, or you haven't finished those, the first three days, and you don't want to be spoiled by our immaculately crafted solutions that we are going to read on the air, uh, line by line. Uh, no, we won't be doing that unless you want that. Please send us a comment and tell us that you that want would us to. Would be a little that. weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Well, well. I mean, we're just gonna read them in in binary, so it's you know, unless you you know know that inherently, it, it's it's not spoiling. Um. So, uh, you know, before we get into the puzzles, though, I remember that you said last time we talked about this, uh, asking about any kinds of things that you do to potentially set up your Advent of Code environment. Um. I mean, I use VS Code. I'm assuming you use VS Code. Yep. Um, I have, like, a specific project folder just for Advent Same. of Code and for each year that I've done. And I have I have not really gotten around to creating, like, a template for each day's puzzle so that I have a lot of stuff set up. I mean, I, I figured it out on day one, and then I just copy and paste to each subsequent one, but... That's what I usually do. Yeah, I, but I think this year you might have you might have a better solution. Yeah, uh, well, I don't know if it's better. It's different. Uh, <laughs> okay. um, I like it. So yeah, last year I had a directory I just called template, and I just would copy it to, mm. uh, just manually I would copy it over. Or I'd, I think I'd make the day, and then I'd copy everything in template. Uh, so copy template slash star to the new directory. Mm-hmm. But I was still making the you know daily directory, still copying it over. And in fact, last year I also had... Uh, parts one and parts two as their own mm-hmm. um, directories. So I would have like 01A and 01B, mm-hmm. uh, which I didn't love. So this year uh, I, I tried to automate some things because that's what I do. Um, so I wrote a little bash script uh, just called generate. Um, and it does, it does a couple things. One, you can tell it what day to generate, but if you don't tell it that, then it will figure out what, day of the week it is, or what day of the month it is right now um and it pulls that out and then it'll create that directory but also if that exists already either way it won't create it so i put some like safeguards in there mm-hmm. um and then it makes the directory copies over my template um into that date i call it solution in there for reasons uh and then i have a bunch of text files that i've been using for just keeping information uh, in some of them, and then some of them are specifically the input that gets read in by my files. In the past, what I've done is I've I've just uh, dumped things in through standard in, but this year I'm actually reading from the files, so I don't have to, so I can just run it all mm-hmm. and and see what it does, uh, which I'm finding very useful. And then uh, because we do this podcast, <laughs> I also uh, create a little markdown file that where I'm keeping my thoughts. Uh, which I think it just opens up to part one and part two and just with like blank lists underneath it. Um, 
So yeah, so I that that was my that was my uh, pre-advent of code that I did on November thirtieth. Nice uh, in preparation because I was too excited. Like, give me the give me the problem. <laughs> I, I definitely share your joy with doing this kind of thing. Um, I spend an inordinate amount of time organizing files and folders and trying to make them you know, as meaningful as possible and as understandable as possible so that when I go back to look at them later, you know, future me understands it. And yes, automating anything, you know, hitting a button and making the new day's workspace just appear is, is always a, a treat. Um, the, the, the really only thing I did, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm, I'm kind of, uh, archiving all of my solutions in a website, in a Ruby on Rails website. And, one just simple thing I, that I that I'm doing with the file structure is I used to do dot text, you know, day one dot text or, or you know day one input dot text or day one solution or whatever. Um, but because of the website and because of trying to make them, like I love when I can discern as much information from the data without having to query for it. And what I mean by that yeah. is. And, and this was something that actually Ruby on Rails taught me when I first tried to learn it many years ago, which is the don't repeat yourself kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And so that means that every day's files are one dot input, one dot test. And so if I go to make like a view that shows day X, you know, I don't have to tell it, oh, the input is in one dot input. I just know that because of the file structure, it's going to be in one dot input, and if and even though day ten hasn't come upon us yet, I know that's going to be ten dot input and ten bot ten dot test that kind of thing. I wasn't really doing that before. I was just I just wasn't really thinking about it. But making the website was like, oh, this would be so much easier. I don't need these fields. I don't need to manually put this information in. I just need to name stuff intelligently so that when I make the thing later, it knows where they are. So that's the kind of stuff I've done. Yeah. It's interesting because I do that kind of just so that I know where things are. I have a really hard time remembering where files are or what I called them uh, just in general. So all of my files are the same in the each day. So I've got a description.txt, which is where I just copied problem description. Um, Input.txt is the actual like real input mm -hmm. uh, that, that's running against. Then I got sample1.txt and sample2.txt. Sometimes those end up being the same. I think today's was. Um, and then solution.py and thoughts.markdown. Um, so the, the, and then in, but each of those is nested underneath the directory that is the day. So we've got like 01 slash all those things. So I could do, so I could do the same thing. That uh, that you were talking about in Ruby on Rails, if I was to do such a thing mm -hmm. with my directory structure, yes, yeah. I mean, I think you know they're both valid. Whatever makes sense to you. Uh, you know, sometimes I want to do it with the file name. Sometimes I, you know, I mean, I put the files in directories, so it's like uh, you know, puzzles slash one slash one dot input one dot test. Oh, so you don't break it up by day; you break it up by the type of file. Well, both. And then inside I mean, of that, so you can. You go the opposite directory structure for me. It's like like every every day has a folder called the day it is, and then inside that folder is the day dot whatever the thing is. Oh, I see. What so you're it's saying. kind of a mix. Okay. Yeah, it just yeah, I just went with the same names every time, partly because um, VS Code is nice, and if I open up like two solution.py's from two different days, it puts the little name of the directory they're in uh, after it. Mm -hmm. 
So I can see, oh, this one's an 01 and this one's an 02. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Otherwise, I would do exactly what you just described. <laughs> nice. Um, and it's what I've done in the past. Yeah. No, I the mean, other thing I, I did is I, I, I made explicit functions for running solution one mm -hmm. and running solution two. And in my main function, I actually like I go part one and then it runs solution one against sample one and solution one against input.txt. And then it does part two and does the same thing for sample two and input there. And so what's that meant? What, what that has meant is that I'm just making my life a lot easier <laughs> when it goes to run everything. It just runs solution. And I'm like, OK, I'm done. Yes. No, I love that. And I, I might steal that kind of uh, function thinking because, yeah, I, I have the same issue where, you know, I'll start making part one and then I'll realize, OK, I finished that. Now I need part two, but I still want to see part one because I want to see something that it does. And, you know, using your structure is good. So you can you kind of keep it all going no matter what part of the day you're currently working on. So I like that. And the other part that helps there, as we talked about in the last episode with um, my, the challenges I put on myself this time, uh, were specifically about refactoring my code as I went and not just like copy that fo that function and paste it down here and just change the couple of things. And now I have two almost identical functions. Mm -hmm. I'm actually trying to like do software engineering. <laughs> Con what a concept. Um, and so this kind of forces that because all of a sudden my samples could break. <laughs> right. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned doing that because there was there was a post on the subreddit today about someone saying like, "Why don't you guys refactor your stuff? Why do you just leave messy spaghetti unreadable code in your final in your final answer? Like, why don't you clean it up?" And everybody was essentially saying, "Because this is just for fun. I'm never going to look at this again. Uh, what you know? I don't have the time. There's no point. It's it's the whole purpose of it is to get run a single time." get a solution, put it in a box, and move on. And uh, it, it's interesting because I see that point, but I'm kind of, I'm definitely veering more towards you where, like, I just have, like, a like a weird vanity about my code where I, I want to clean it up as much as I can. Even if I'm the only one who's ever going to look at it, I can't help but want to refactor it in some way. Well, something that I've heard before, it probably comes from sports, but I heard it from improv, of course, Um <laughs> is you play the way you practice, right? Mm. So if, if you if you practice really sloppy and messy in then when you actually go to do the the real show or game or whatever, you will also be sloppy and messy because mm. you just like that's that's the those are the neural pathways that you're reinforcing yeah. in your brain. If you only code drunk, for example, <laughs> Right, which was a problem of mine in, in college. Uh, then uh, you, you know, you will have more trouble figuring it out sober, uh, and vice versa sometimes. But that ha that's for other reasons. Yeah. So I am trying to get myself in the habit of doing what I should always do, mm. because in the real world, how many times have you said I'll refactor that <laughs> next time, and then, and then, you, then don't. you don't, yeah. because then there's another emergency and another emergency. So. If you get in the habit of doing it as you go, maybe it'll be better. Uh, so, Matt, do you want to take the first day? Um, sure. All right. So the first day was entitled Trebuchet, uh, which was very exciting. Actually, it was Trebuchet. Entitled Trebuchet. Uh, <laughs> and so the... 
gimmick, the story, I don't know what to call it, this year is that you are, as usual, you have to find 50 stars, mm. right? So that the elves can do Christmas or something. <laughs> um, you get them by solving puzzles. Uh, this year, um, we are trying to, uh, what is the actual thing? Oh, we had to restore snow operations. That's what's going on this year. Is it's not snowing and it needs to, or something like that. Yes. Um. So it starts by uh, launching us into the sky. <laughs> Always a good start. It's like start there. Yeah. Um. And to do that, the thing is, you have a document that explains how to calibrate it, and someone has scribbled all over it. And so now you need to parse this out. Uh. Where this would normally be like a computer visualization problem. Uh, of trying to like do OCR through, you know, it's basically a captcha, mm-hmm. right? Um, but it's all in text, so you're trying to pull out the the digits in the fir- in part one. It's pull out the first digit and last digit in any line to s- form a single two digit number, yeah, and then add all those up, and that's that's what you get. So like the first in their example, they have one A B C two, so the number you'd pull out of that is twelve, yeah. Yeah, so that's part one. Um, we'll talk about part two in a second. What did you think about part one? Uh, I think part one of day one was not too bad. You know, I, I, I know I didn't do it in the most efficient way, but I, I, I will, I'll skip with saying that about all of these because that's generally how I approach these things. But my, my brute force method was essentially to just do a bunch of um, string splits and... You know, uh, essentially, I kept a flag uh, or a marker to where, as soon as you found a digit, that flag was 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 flicked, so that you knew that you'd found the first number. And then I just kept going through the line, and if I found another digit, that would become the second number. And if I find another digit, that would replace it as the second number. On and on and on until you get to the end of the line, and now you have a first and a second. Put them together, read them as an integer, et cetera, et cetera. I used regular expressions, mm-hmm. which now you have two problems. Is another challenge. <laughs> another challenge I gave myself this year. Oh, was, so, so you're intentionally trying the, to use regex more often? Okay, I am because I recognize when I recognize that the problem is best solved by a regex mm-hmm. by any tool. I'm trying to use that tool instead of the thing I already know how to do off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay. Because um, the thing I know how to do off the top of my head is usually not efficient. Yeah. So, so how um, did you how did you do this with regex then? So for part one, I the regular expression was just backslash D, and I just did a find all. Okay. Uh, so Python re dot find all with that regular expression would just give me every single digit in a string. That's very good. Uh, so I did yes. that for each line, and then I just popped the first and last off, and then I added them together as a I concatenated mm-hmm. them, and then I converted that into an integer, um, which is not how I did part two, uh, but we'll talk about that in a, in a moment. But it seems like we more or less did the same thing of just find all the numbers mm-hmm. and then use the first and last one, which I mean, that's, that's what the problem yeah. was. It, it, it was, uh, it was not Jordan. Any problems with, with part one? Yeah, no, no uh, pr- problem one. Oh, that okay. was pretty easy. It was, uh, let's yeah. part two was definitely harder. Yeah. Yeah. My note on part one was pretty straightforward. Yes. Agreed. <laughs> part two, I wrote hardest day one dot two ever. Okay. I'm glad you uh, thought that as well. Cause oof. So part two, is the same problem, except it turns out that it's not just digits. Sometimes it's the actual word one mm-hmm. or word two. Um, so now we had to find all the digits, but the digits weren't just 
digits, they were digits or the words of the digits. Mm-hmm. And that was a much more difficult problem. Yeah. Um, turned out regular expressions saved me here as well. Um, so I was glad that I did it, but I, I had to uh, do some stuff I did not like in my code. S- such as, what do you mean? Okay, so my solution here is I made a lookup table that translated the word one into the digit one mm-hmm. and all that all the way up to the word nine. And then I also translated translated the um, the string zero, one, to any of those to their digit as well. Whereas previously I was just casting them to int. I didn't end up doing that here because this way I could just do a lookup. I liked that. But it turns out that there's an issue <laughs> because there's an overlap sometimes. So you could have words like one followed by eight, but they share the E. Mm-hmm. And that works great going left to right. Uh, but when you're trying to find the last digit, if the last digit is one of those, you will only, you'll get one instead of eight mm-hmm. out of that. So that required a whole change to what I was doing. I tried several things. I spent most of my time on this one was just spent parsing it yeah. out. Uh, learning how regular expressions worked and where they couldn't do what I wanted. Um, which was... Uh, so what I ended up doing is I, I do two finds. Uh, I do a find... Uh, and I realized I could have made this way more efficient now that I look at this. Uh, <laughs> it's not how um, it works. I could have just done a find instead of a find all. I didn't care about anything past the first one in either case. So I reversed the string and I also reversed my lookup table. Oh. So I have a lookup and then I have a R lookup and R lookup is like ENO mm-hmm. goes to one and OW2 goes to two. So then I just did my lookup in the reversed string. Yeah. Um, and that, that worked. Um, and then I, and then the way I computed the value there is I just did 10 times the first digit plus the second, the last digit. Uh, so that I could get the thing that I needed. Mm-hmm. How did you go about solving it? Since I didn't use regex, I just I augmented the original, just kind of serial looking left to right. Uh, I fell into that trap as well with the uh, with the overlap on the letters, and because what I was trying to do is um, I went through and did a replace of like O N E to the to the number one, uh, but of course that messes up when you have the overlap and then i found someone online who had who fell into the exact same trap and they were like oh but i fixed it by doing this and the 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 cool trick was uh that i explained online is that instead of replacing o and e with the number one instead you just shove the number one inside of it so that you essentially mark o and e as a one and it does, and and yeah. then you can still get any words that are overlapping with the e, like one eight or something. I like w- that. I was so mad when you pointed that when you when you posted that I was like, oh, that's so smart. <laughs> I wish I'd thought of it because I thought about replacing, and it would have the same problem of overlap. But yeah, all you really care about is keeping is you retain the first and last letter yes. of every word. Yes, and just replace all the in- inside of it with the digit. And it works. Yeah. And I thought, uh, uh, oh, then I could have just used my previous solution. Right. And 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 like I said, I did not come up with that solution, but it was so brilliant that I had to use it. Um, s- someone else also had the solution of uh, changing uh, any overlapping string like O-N-E-I-G-H-T to just add the extra letter in there so that there was no overlap. So it was really like, it, it was definitely a push and pull of like parsing it versus preparing the data before you parsed it so that when you parsed it, it was fine. And it's one of those things that like, 
in retrospect, it's to me, it's it's obvious that that's what you need to do. But when I'm in the trenches, for some reason, I get a real mental block about like, wait a second, if if I'm if I'm stuck trying to do this, I need to you know get the bigger picture of like, wait, can't I just make the data easier to read as opposed to navigating hard data? And I think that's probably yeah. a really good take home, yes. like a real world take home, is that you know the easier solution is not necessarily to parse data that's hard to parse but instead make the data easier to parse uh so so do it on the front end and then your your logic is simple but if 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 you don't do the front end parsing then your logic has to be even smarter with more edge cases and more likely to mess up exactly you remember when we were talking about p versus np on a previous episode i i talked about how if we could solve one np complete problem All of the NP complete problems could be solved. And that's because any NP complete problem can be translated into another one. This is a similar thing. It's like find the thing you can solve easily and do that. Right. (laughs) And make the stuff that goes into that easier. Yeah. Um, And I I actually, that actually comes into play really heavily, I think, in day two for me. Um, But I want to finish talking about day one real quick. Sure. Um, uh, oh, this was where I started. This was where I, I decided to do um, cleanups and 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 whatnot. So after I got the answer, <laughs> I went back and refactored part two. Uh, to I did some post success cleanup as I wrote it. <laughs> I uh, I changed some of my regexes from being really explicit as I'd written them down to be generated, um, which solved a lot of problems. So I was able to like have like a, an array of of numbers for example and then say and then run through that uh when i'm creating my regular expression as opposed to having two really long regular expressions mm-hmm. oh that's what it was i used the keys from my lookup tables to generate the regular expressions and that that solved a lot of problems and then uh as, as those dictionaries got you know they were like 20 line long 20 lines long each that was f- okay <laughs> when when it was uh one lookup table but when it became two it was my entire screen was just the thing and i know you just collapsed those Uh in vs code yeah and i still can't bring myself to it so i just (laughs) i actually collapsed them into one line um which was still totally readable yeah uh and i was like okay cool and then done you know (laughs) that that's another topic for another time but i think that is a great topic because i think that's uh it probably could be an episode just about like you know how one uses their ide and like the features that you're like, I love these features. And then other features, nope, I won't use them. And you can't change my mind. You know, like, let's go beyond tabs versus spaces. Let's like, let's get into the real details. So no, but let's talk about that first. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that, well, yeah, we'll do We'll do more holy wars in 2024. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> we'll, we'll solve, we'll solve all of the holy wars in one episode. Just knock them out. Tell us about day two. Okay, let's go to day two. So, uh, day two, you've been launched into the atmosphere, um, oh. and you arrive on Snow Island, and uh, you have to walk uh, s- somewhere. And so, in the meantime, uh, the elf that is accompanying you is going to say, "Hey, let's play a little game." And this game involves um, essentially like grabbing. Uh, Handfuls of random, randomly colored, well, random amounts of cubes that are colored either red, green, or blue. 
And, uh, you know, your input is essentially like a bunch of games which involve a bunch of sets of um, potential cubes that can be pulled out. So, like, for example, game one is uh, has three sets. The first set, he pulls out three blue and four red. Second set, one red, two green, six blue. And the final set, two green. Um, and the first part of this is essentially, like, given the statistics of a specific number of games and the sets that are in those games, if you have a bag that contains a certain number of red cubes, green cubes, and blue cubes, which of these games are possible and which of these games are impossible? So this one, so after day one, especially day one, two, this one seemed a lot easier. I at least, you know, we'll just talk about part one for now, but I think both parts were actually pretty straightforward, which means a lot coming from me. Uh, I mean, it was, you know, also just a lot of like, string um hacking you know like take taking the input and essentially putting it into some kind of data structure that you can then iterate over and query um so like the first part i think i don't have my code in front of me but you know it was basically like i i spent most of the time just parsing the input to put it into a data Same. structure uh that i could then query uh by iterating over all the games and saying like okay if you have these games and these sets of these cubes, uh, you know, are, are any of the numbers, you know, greater than the, the number of cubes that you have? And if so, then it's impossible. And if not, it's possible. So, yeah, that that was not too tough. What, what was your experience? Um, this was uh, a huge pain. Oh, uh, the parsing in particular yeah. was a huge pain. Um, and I think the main reason was I again tried to use regular expressions and I could not wrap my brain around how to use a regular mm. expression here. Um, I did eventually find a solution. Some of the people at work, we have a, we have a Slack channel for, um, advent of code as, as well as on the private channel that you and I are on mm -hmm. in our other Slack, um, server. And one of the people there had used regular expressions and I was like, oh, that was way easier than I made. It. Um, <laughs> I'm glad and you then found I just it. felt dumb. Um, and the nice thing about that, as we were talking about earlier about like looking online and getting answers and whatnot, mm -hmm. uh, I ended up using some of that information that I learned yesterday today. Mm. So yeah, nice things. Um, but yeah, so I I spent probably like an hour trying to get my regular expression to work, and I finally threw it out. And I just fell back on standard string manipulation using splits and strips. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, it was just a matter of finding the max scene of each color in each round. It was trivial. And then <laughs> uh, once I once I parsed it, super easy to, to do it. And I knew how to parse it. Yeah. Like immediately. I'm like, but I didn't want to do it that way because it look it, the code's ugly. And I'm like, well, a regular expression is the right way to do this. I just. Regular expressions are their own programming language. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm curious, like, in the end, since you tried to do it the right way with a regex, but you ended up doing it the, the quote-unquote wrong or simplistic or... I, I, I don't know how you would put, you know, using string splits and strips, uh, because, I mean, that's what I did, too. Uh, less elegant. Less elegant. Okay, you know, well, I, I think I can accept that. Uh, I mean... Do you feel like you failed in some way because you had to do that? No. Okay. Um, I I challenged myself to do something a certain way, yeah. and I tried. Yeah. 
and you and then f- yeah, and you succeeded just, in the end. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and I did get the right answer. Yeah. Um, I didn't succeed in doing it the way I wanted, but I did get the answer I wanted. Yeah. And I know now if I wanted to, I could go back and, and fix this. Yeah. Um, I was remarkably close to how I should have done it. Uh, I just misunderstood a fundamental thing about regular expressions that I'm not even sure I could put into words. <laughs> yeah. But like, I understand it now. L- um, l- like you said, uh, regular expressions are are their own topic. Um, yeah, it's just, there's such a powerful tool and they're so hard to use, but they're, it's like, if you use Excel all day and you don't know how to do a pivot table, you probably should Mm -hmm. because pivot tables are so powerful in Excel. Uh, and if you don't, then why would you ever bother to learn that? Like if you, you know, I find it easier to export things out of Excel and write a program to, to give me the answer I want than to ever do a pivot table. Right. And that's because I do it so rarely. Yeah. Um, and so the, to me, regular expressions are the place where like that, that's the equivalent of that for me. And I'm like, I, I should learn these. So I'm going to do a better job of it. And there's so many parsing problems uh, in Advent of Code that it's just a great place to use it. What's funny is some of the folks at work, are doing exactly the opposite. They're challenging themselves to not use regular <laughs> expressions because they use regular expressions all the time ah. for, for string parsing, and they don't do the other ways of doing Interesting. it. Interesting. Um, because they are doing a ton of string parsing for what they are working yeah. on, uh, like looking at logs and whatnot. And I'm like, oh... That's, but they, they, it was interesting to see somebody had the exact opposite goal of me yeah. for the same problem. That's, that's very cool. Um, so part two of this puzzle, uh, I... I don't remember having much trouble with it because once again, it was that all the parsing in part one was really the, the labor, the most laborious part of this. I mean, the, the, the difference in part two compared to, uh, um, part one is using the same input, which is a bunch of games and sets that were done in the past. Uh, it's now asking you to find the fewest number of cubes of each color that could have been in the bag, as opposed to checking as, um, whether those, the, the the amounts of cubes uh was above you know uh the the bag of cubes that it gave you before so that so yeah this seemed like pretty much the same parsing it's just that i essentially just had a bunch of counts and and every time um blue cubes were used you know i increased if if it was more than the last amount of blue cubes that were used um then i just replaced it and so in the end once i'd parsed all of it i now had the, the minimum number of each kind that I needed to satisfy that game. And then you took a bunch of those numbers and summed them and, uh, or multiplied them. I don't know. You know, that's, that's how that, that you multiple, you multiplied parts of it and then you summed the result of that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. The, the power of a set of cubes is equal to the number of red, green, and blue cubes multiplied together. So if the minimum number of red, blue, and green was one, two, three, you would get six and then for every game, you add those all together, and then you get a final number. Because that's the thing with Advent of Code. In the end, you always have to have just a uh, a number for the answer. And so they always have to figure out some interesting way to come up with a crazy problem. But then in the end, you have to take a bunch of numbers and add them or multiply them together to get an answer. So, yeah, I, I th- this one seemed pretty straightforward. What, what did you think? Yeah, I agree. Um, a couple of things uh, that I, I, I wrote down as being of note mm-hmm. uh, when I was going through this. The first thing I did was I split out my part one solution so that parsing was its own function. Mm-hmm. And then the processing of it was its own. Yeah. Um, 
And so that was the first thing I did, and then I retested part one. So this is where that idea that I talked about earlier of, like, rewriting my code as I went, this is where this really started to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I had that, uh, it was the same exact calculation, actually, for that I used um, in figuring out how many uh, blue, red, green cubes there were on each row was just using a max already. <laughs> like just using the max function. Mm-hmm. I already had that. And in fact, the logic became simpler here because I just took out the part where it checked to see if the goal was there. Right. Uh, and then after I was done figuring out all the rounds in a line, um, I actually, and this is something I credit with my using TypeScript more uh, and more as TypeScript and Python, both uh, and, and JavaScript in general, um, all, have the concepts of map, reduce, and filter mm-hmm. on on data sets, and I don't use those a lot. Oh, I I try to use them as much as possible, but I've been using them more and more because, in particular, in the world of JavaScript and TypeScript, they're like it's like ubiquitous. Yeah. Whereas before, it might be confusing to people reading your code in Python, uh, especially when I was first writing Python. Those were not super popular functions. Mm-hmm. Um, but now it was my, I'm like, oh, well, this is a reduce. <laughs> like I, cause I needed to reduce, uh, my lines down to, um, oh, I needed to multiply all the three numbers together. Right. And I could have just done, you know, red times blue times green. Uh, but I did a reduce with uh, Lambda X times Y instead, partly to remind myself how to use reduces in Python <laughs> yeah. so I could use them in the future, which I had to do today. So that, that was kind of nice, uh, just all around. I did find this one pretty, The yeah, solution two was significantly easier than solution one just because the parsing was the problem on this yeah. one. Yeah, I, I think one of the things also that, like, it's just my own personality and how I, how my brain works is that, like, the, the sets of cubes, uh, like one green, three red, six blue, I, I just think, you know, this is RGB, and I think of it as an RGB, and it like bothers me that it's not in that order. And so, like when I made my bag, like I made sure that was RGB. And if I could make the other ones into RGB, even though there was literally no, there was no uh, benefit to reordering them. But my brain is just like, no, you don't go red, blue, green. It's red, green, blue, and and that's just what's what's yeah. What's really funny about that is I also struggled with a very similar thing, <laughs> but. I rebelled against the RGB oh. and I went alphabetical. Oh. I went blue, oh. green, red when I was defining my my structure because that made sense as the way I wrote it down. Because yeah. um, I checked for all the blues, checked for all the greens, checked for all the reds, and so it's alphabetical and it's you know it flowed. But none of the none of the examples were in that format at mm-hmm. all. Uh, and so it broke my brain. And I multiple times considered swapping it around. So that it would be RGB because all the examples showed us things that way. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, okay. What? When I was trying to debug this one, <laughs> it's, it, I kept having to like reverse. It, it's very hard like, to, oh, yeah, okay, to stop our brain from just, you know, because we spent all this time learning these heuristics and, 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 and structures and stereotypes about the world that it's, you know, you can't expect us to just not be pulled by that. But yeah, sometimes it is just, a, it's often just a time waste.
so day three. Oof. Um, this was a this was a grueling one for me, uh, and I know it's because I did it the hardest, brute forcest way. But once again, that's just how my brain works. So I'm very curious to hear you read about it and what your you know process was in solving it, and then I will uh, <laughs> cry about mine. So this one, day three, turns out that the engine we needed uh, in a, I think it was in a gondola. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was in a gondola. The engine was missing parts. And so we had to calculate part numbers based on the input to figure out what parts to order so that he could install them right, and get the gondola to move. Um, and the each line basically looked like it was a series of, of uh, dots, symbols, and and numeric digits mm-hmm. uh where dots represented basically nothing it was like an empty space right digits uh, contiguous digits were a number so 467 was 467 it wasn't four and six and seven unlike mm-hmm. in the previous days and then any of the other symbols were like different types of parts and right. so what we had to do was find any number that was adjacent to a symbol which is basically anything that wasn't a digit or a period um mm-hmm. and and then I think we just added them all up or something. So it was another it was a big parsing problem. Um yes. I did use regular expressions here and they did get a workout uh for sure. Um but I like the my skills in using uh regular expressions got a workout, but I actually learned quite a bit about that, which was neat. So what I did is I uh had a couple of lists that I kept track of. One was of the positions that the symbols were in, that mm-hmm. that a symbol was in. I just had a list, and any symbol I encountered, I put its position in that list. Um, and then I had a list of nums, but my my numbers I actually stored as something called a grid number originally, which is a class I wrote that just just to hold some of the information I needed, mm-hmm. uh, like the the y value of that, because I needed to be able to create my positions there. And the main mm-hmm. reason I had grid item was so that I could do adjacent positions because right. I needed to know every, oh, because that was the thing. It was adjacent wasn't just up and down and left and right. It was diagonal as well. Mm-hmm. So it was all, all of the numbers that possibly all, surrounded all it. Directions. And that was yep. a pain to deal with yep. uh, because it wasn't, because you weren't basing it off a single uh, cell. You were, it spanned multiple cells if it was a multi-digit number. Um, right. That was where I ran into most of my problems. So I ended up creating a class and creating an adjacent positions uh, method in there that would return all the positions. And then I just did an intersection basically to see if, uh, or I, I just checked to see if my, if, if a symbol, I just iterated over the symbols and, and, just, uh, and was just like, is the symbol in any of my adjacent things? Great. It's true. It's a, it's a part number. Um, right. Uh, I did run into one major problem. In part one, which was uh, the way I wrote my regex for finding the symbols in particular, I missed one of the symbols. I was just very explicit about which symbols I used. Oh, were you putting, Um, you were putting explicit symbols as opposed to not a digit or a dot? Exactly. Ah. Because I don't know how to do that in regular expressions. I need to learn that. Um, I know how to do one or the other. I don't know how to do both. Okay. Like I could say anything that's not a digit. I didn't know how to say anything that's did not a digit, or um, oh, so I'm sure there's an easy way symbol. to do it. <laughs> that's how you say or, but I don't know how to do the not and the or. <laughs> oh, that was the problem. So I'm sure there's an easy way to do it, yeah. but I didn't. And 
at 10 o'clock at night last night, I did not have yeah. the wherewithal to do that. So I sure. didn't. And I missed one of the symbols, which was the forward slash. Mm. Just for whatever reason. I had it written down in my list of symbols, but when I wrote the regex, I missed it. Yeah. Uh, which was just my fault. Um, so that I spent most of my time last night was spent trying to track that down. Sample worked great. Real problem? No. Yeah. Um, and I, no forward slash in the I, sample. I went, I, I, what I ended up doing for this is um, I wrote a test uh, input that, <laughs> that basically listed out all of the symbols with a number next to it so I could see what number, what symbol I missed. Cause I just, my assumption was that that's what was wrong. And then that turned out to be the case. Uh, <laughs> um, and that, that ended up helping me out quite a bit. Uh, or the, the, the way I structured my code this year helped me out a lot reading from files because it just added a line in my code that was like read from test. And then I could see all the things. Uh-huh. How about you? Yeah, that actually, you know, interestingly enough, except for the fact that, you know, you did it OOP way and I just did it, you know, spaghetti style. Uh, that's very similar to the way that I figured figured it out, except without the regex. Um, so what I did is, yeah, I just went line by line and basically I did a check to see, because I noticed in the input that, you know, digits can either be one, two, or three characters. And so I just used that. And I basically said, if I found a digit, then I essentially did a little, you know, flag said, okay, we found a number, go to the next one. Is it also a number? Okay, keep going. Is that a number? Okay, okay. And then as soon as like, I reached a non numeric character, I was like, oh, okay, that's the end of the number. And then I, you know, kept track of that. I kept track that that was a number. Uh, and then went, you know, through the rest of the line, finding all the numbers. And yes, if I found a number, I would then check to see whether it had a symbol uh, in any of the eight directions. So I did the same kind of thing. I did, uh, you know, an intersection, like, was there a symbol? Um, and so that's how I was able to get part one. But yeah, it was a lo- it was just a lot of time writing that engine uh, without regex, um, which is, you know, doable, probably harder. But honestly, even I with the it. regex, that part wasn't the adjacent positions part was not easy just because it wasn't a single cell. Yeah, that's really easy to do if it's one. Yeah, because it's just here's eight positions. But here it was, you're going to guaranteed have at least eight. But if you have a two digit number, you're actually going to have 10. Yeah. <laughs> Three digit number. Well, yeah, 12. I, I think the reason why this was doable is that the actual input wasn't crazy enough. It could have been crazier with like oh, more sure. symbols next to numbers than it did. I think the way that the symbols are written in the input, at least f- for how I did it, which was which felt like brute forcing it. Um, I was able to do it because there were not more edge cases. That that's just my assumption. But regardless, I, I did finally get it. Um, and I was like, all right, sweet. You know, I figured it out. I didn't have to look anything up. I just kind of reasoned my way through it. And then I got to part two. Yeah. So part and, two. Yeah. Uh, part two. Uh, the gondola didn't move, basically, or it moved Dope. real slow. It turned out. That uh, the the missing part wasn't the only issue. Also, one of the gears in the engine was wrong. And so we mm-hmm. needed to learn gear ratios. And gear ratios were, uh, if if there was a star symbol, an asterisk, um, and it was adjacent to exactly two part numbers. Mm-hmm. So not one part number, not three part numbers, two exactly. The holy hand grenade of uh, puzzles exactly. here. 
And it was, and it was almost the reverse problem. So it was like, find that, then look at the actual numbers. We care about the numbers here. Multiply those together. That's the gear ratio for that star, and then add all of those up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, this one was rough. Uh, the first word of my notes here is woof. <laughs> woof. Uh, I ended up having to refactor and rethink my logic quite a bit to get from one to two on this one, but. It ended up saving me a lot of time doing that instead of just continuing to beat my head against the wall of trying to reuse the code exactly as it was. Um, uh, I, you know, met my challenge of trying to do my code cleanup and uh, I ended up making certain methods that I had more generic. So I had like a find num and a find symbols. I ended up combining that into find find pattern and I just passed the regex of the thing I was looking for into that. So then I was able to use that for both things. Um, and that, and then I changed grid num into grid item. And so it was anything could be in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then ultimately what finally uh, got me to what I wanted was uh, my main problem was I just needed to stop thinking procedurally and actually start thinking OOP style. Like I had a class, but I wasn't using it the way I always rant about how people need to use classes. Mm-hmm. So I didn't put my methods along with my data. So as soon as I added in is adjacent function and you could pass two grid items and it just did the adjacency for me, all the rest of my logic became super simple. Oh, nice. Um, and then, and I, and then I just knocked it out. Almost all of that was uh, almost all of the time I spent was either caused by my own self-imposed rules or care, carelessness. <laughs> but when I finished, uh, because this one was frustrating but fun at the same time, like I got a big old like uh, serotonin, dopamine, endorphin rush uh, uh-huh. from finishing. I was like, "Yay, this is fun!" But it was midnight, and so then I was wide awake. <laughs> <laughs> How about you? Part yeah. Two. Um, so so I I thought a lot about I did a lot of thinking on part two, uh, just because I was trying to figure out like how would I do this at all. Um, because I did not do the thing that you did in part one, which was keep track of the symbols. Uh, I was only keeping track of the numbers and whether they had the symbol next to them. I did not have a list of, cause I did the same thing with the coordinates. You know, I had, I could go to any cell, you know, in, in the data. Um, but I was not keeping track of where the symbols were. And I was, tr- and so I, I, I redid my original logic to start doing that. Um, and, th- and I was, I was doing the wrong thing initially that this was all through some hinting on the subreddit and cause I was, I was really stuck and lost on even how to approach this. Um, but once I saw the hint about, Oh, you need to keep track of the actual symbols and, and how they're attached to the numbers, not just are, is a number adjacent to one. I went back in there and I, so basically I, I found a number and, and, and if the, uh, once I found a number and I checked for the symbols around it, which was part one, I also started a list of, oh, that symbol is an asterisk, that's special. And also, I made a much more complicated data structure to hold the information about what is the number that's associated with this asterisk, and how many times has that asterisk been associated with a number. So that's like a counter, and that's how you know whether it's only two, not one, not three. And then also the numbers that are associated with it, and then also making sure that there are no duplicates because like on the test with my logic, I would have gotten um, three instead of two on the 35 in the sample because the three 
would have found the asterisk when it looked around itself, and the five also would have found itself. So it would have put 35 in twice, giving me three. And so I made sure to, um, you know, deduplicate it. Or, you know, I could have used sets, but I didn't use a set. That would have also worked. Um, I so did what, use a set. <laughs> yeah. So so it, it, there was just a lot of thinking about how to do this. But once I finally got the engine going where I was keeping track of the asterisk and its associated numbers, then it all just kind of came together. But it was just a lot of like head scratching and thinking and trying things to get to that point. Um, so yeah, it, it was definitely a tough one for me, but I'm still, so far I'm still very excited that, you know, I was able to figure it out and, oh, <laughs> another really dumb thing. Oh, this was funny. When I first ran it, I got uh, a, a num- on part two, I got a number that was way too small. And it was saying, you know, oh, your number's too small. And I'm like, it's too small. But this logic, it works. What's the problem? The problem was when I was first testing this program, I put the like run through the lines of the data in an if statement with a max number of lines. Because when <laughs> I'm just printing out on a display to kind of like do some error checking, I didn't want to print out all hundred lines or whatever it was in the in the the input because it would be too hard to to look at so i put a max in there so it was only doing like the first 10 lines and so i was getting a very small number that tripped me up for like at least 20 30 minutes until i realized that i did that so that's really funny that happened to me last year a couple times and that's actually why i ended up going with the route i did with my the way i organized my files this year and and i created a test yeah txt because i also made one for part two because I also was too low at some point and I was missing I was missing the case where it was either like above or below like there was one one edge that I just kept missing mm-hmm. um if it was right there I would miss it yeah uh and and so another another little test file cuz otherwise I have done exactly what you did uh and it's that's really frustrating when it turns out oh my own debugging got in the way <laughs> yeah I mean, I really wish I was better at the correct debugging as opposed to just, you know, print statements, console spa- statements. It just, hey, it, it's just... it's gotten me through, like, it's gotten me through, like, 30-something years of programming. It works. The problem is it, is it works too well too much of the time. Like, if it wasn't yeah. so effective, I wouldn't keep using it, and I would learn proper, like, breakpoints and debugging stuff. But I, you know, also... Like I'm, I'm so used to working in a non-IDE that that mm-hmm. often either doesn't have proper debugging tools like that, or like requires a you know, a plugin among many plugins. And I'm like, I don't want to, I don't know which one to choose, or I don't want to learn it. You know, it's it's kind of like you learning regex. Like you really have to force yourself to no, this is my constraint. I am not, you know, that could that could be something I could self-impose. I'm not going to use print statements for my debugging. I'm gonna put a proper debugger on this and, you know, cause I've used those in the past and they are very helpful. But like, I think the only time I've used one properly was when I was doing C sharp programming back in mm-hmm. .NET days. Cause that the visual studio IDE definitely has debugging like first order, first class debugging, but VS code, it's not, it's not quite there. And so I just don't. But. Yeah. I, I still don't. I would like to, um, I think the most important thing to know about that type of debugging is when it's going to really be useful. Because mm-hmm. most of the time, in my experience, it's not. Uh, it's not going to get me there any faster than printing things out. Hmm. Um, 
It's it's not until I run into those like really obscure edge conditions that don't happen very often. And even then I just put an if statement where I would put the breakpoint and say, if this happens, then <laughs> print out a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I think so much of my programming is done with scripting languages, if not if it's not PHP or Ruby or JavaScript. And you know, it's usually not like a whole insane monolith of code that's running when I just need to put a print statement in. I just, it just works. I don't know. It just works. So I'll probably keep doing the it. Other, the other thing I think that is a, a, a good alternative to debugging most of the time is uh, good unit tests. If you mm. have good unit tests, then you're pretty much set. Also bad <laughs> I don't on have those. those. <laughs> yeah. that, that's, next year's challenge will be to put unit tests. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> next year. So I, I think that's that's pretty much day three. It was rough. Day one... Day one was rough. Three was maybe a little rougher. Two was kind of uh, an impasse. I, I don't know what this bodes for the rest of these problems, but I'm I'm a little I'm a little more worried than usual. I don't know. I, I don't remember the first three days of the previous years being this intense. They they've been very parser heavy. Yeah. Um. And I think if the patterns from past years hold up, I expect we'll get a lot more problems that were that involve parsing um but i don't expect the type of parsing we have to do to be to increase significantly in difficulty Mm -hmm. um but it's like it's almost like he i i I always get the impression he's laying the groundwork he's like okay you guys know how to do this stuff right this real basic stuff okay now i'm gonna start adding more complicated things on top yeah um so uh yeah i think i think we got to get real good with our parsing skills real fast if we're gonna do well this year (laughs) Yeah, well, I'm I'm gonna you know I'm gonna go easy on myself. If I if it just gets too tough, then that's fine. That's just life. Um, but I will keep going as long as I can. So yeah, that's that's day three, uh, and that's uh, the first three days of Advent of Code. Did you have any other thoughts about uh, the long, grueling road ahead of uh, future puzzles, Matt? I think the main thought I've had about Advent of Code this year is that I, I I'm gonna start donating money to it because. I really do get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Um, I would like to actually start supporting them. So I'm going to start supporting them this year. I wholly agree with that. I have given money a few times already. Um, I haven't yet this year, but uh, you you reminded me. So I will. Yeah, I think uh, it's, a, it's an amazing service that Mr. Uh, Wastel does for Advent of Code. Um, I mean, making these puzzles, making them as airtight as they are, having relatively few bugs, if any, it's kind of crazy. It's it's truly amazing. I agree. So thank you, Eric, for your work again this year. And uh, I look forward to doing some more. The next one comes out in a few hours. So are you ready? No. <laughs> Me neither. <laughs> but I will be. Me neither. All right, cool. Uh, well, that does it for this episode of Hacking the Grepson. Thank you for listening. Uh, there are more episodes of us talking about stuff like this online at hackingthegrepson.com. We try to put out an episode every other week on Wednesday. As I said before, this month is uh, always a little different because Advent of Code is happening, and we like to do check-ins as much as possible. Um, So look for more on this in the future. But until then, we now return you to your regularly scheduled lives already in progress. 